This episode is sponsored by Oribi. Hey guys, I've got a quick question for you. How many of you are tired of using Google Analytics? I bet quite a few of you are raising your hands right now. Understanding where and why you lose site visitors before they convert is hard. With Google Analytics, you not only have to get your developers involved with coding events, but you also have to struggle through endless piles of data just to figure out what's causing your leads to drop out. Seriously, it's kind of a nightmare. Well, you'll be excited to hear that there's now a better way to analyze your website and get actionable insights. Meet Oribi. Oribi is a unique marketing analytics tool that captures all the events visitors perform on your website without using any code. Oribi enables you to analyze visitor behavior patterns, build smart funnels, and get tons of insights so you always know what your next step is. Finally, you'll be able to understand your visitors and know what to change in order to convert more. No more blind spots. To start your free trial, visit oribi.io slash district or use the coupon code district and get a free 14-day trial today. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how better UI UX design practices can benefit your SaaS. Today, we have our guest, Peck Bonpite, joining us. Sorry if I, I, I butched that, but uh, Peck is an award-winning designer with over 16 years of industry experience. He's also a podcast host, entrepreneur, actor, and the CEO and principal uh, UX strategist of Impeccable. And if you guys don't know Impeccable, it, they are a world-class agency that develops and produces SaaS and mobile solutions, promoting digital transformation and innovation through services like product strategy, UI UX, uh, design, web and mobile application development. And they've worked with some of the biggest brands in the world like Adobe, Apple, Google, Nike, and many others. And fun fact, he's also a motion capture uh, actor where his uh, well-known work is known over at Mortal Kombat, Deadly Alliance, and Mortal Kombat Armageddon. So welcome, Peck. Super excited to have you on the SAS District Show today. Thank you for having me here. Uh, yeah, yeah. We People always like uh, enjoy the fact uh, about Mortal Kombat. Sometimes that's the only thing they remember about me. <laughs> you are the you are uh, yeah you are the Mortal Kombat. So I know we talked about this a little bit on your podcast when I was on it. Um, you know I have my my black belt in karate. If people don't know as well, so you know we chat a bit about that. But love love to hear on your side. How did you get involved in, you know, on the motion capture side of Mortal Kombat? Um, what was your role there? How did you get there? And how did you get to where you are today, running your design agency? Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, I want to thank you for having me on your show, Akil. Uh, I've uh, actually listened to your podcast for for many years, and you you put out a lot of good content and. Uh, you know, when you reached out, when we when we connected, I didn't even put two and two together uh, that, that you're from the SAS district because I didn't think you started with that. But uh, I've listened to your content for a long time, so it's it's very uh, strange feeling to to be finally on it. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> uh, how how I actually got into uh, the Mortal Kombat video games? Well, I, I studied martial arts, uh, had been studying for. Uh, many years, uh, and then in, in total over a decade, specializing in wushu, which is a Chinese martial art. And uh, you can see uh, a little bit of what wushu is about in movies like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, uh, any of the Jet Li or Jackie Chan movies. Jet Li is actually a wushu practitioner. He's a six-time national uh, champion in China uh, for for wushu. So anyways, I, I growing up watching a lot of kung fu movies as a kid, I had always dreamed of like, I want to do that when I'm older. Um, so when I had the opportunity to, I, I, I when I found a good school and opportunity to, I studied and trained there for many years and, and as well over the years found other schools and other coaches, um, which led me to opportunities in competing in performing. So we, there was like a, a one of a kind martial arts theater show, which uh, I was involved in in Chicago. Uh, and then ultimately I had, uh, I heard about an opportunity, uh, for Mortal Kombat five at the time, uh, they were just starting to do 3d, 3d, and then, um, martial, uh, motion capture, meaning, uh, the, diff, the, the alternative to motion capture, which is just what Pixar does is they hand animate everything, meaning they just use the computer to move, move the characters like a puppet and motion capture involves the process of putting a suit, uh, on to a person that has dots, reflective dots that they can then capture, uh, very natural human movements and digitize them. So, uh, cool. I, I wasn't, 
involved in the coding or anything, but basically as a martial artist doing the motion, uh, the moves for the Mortal Kombat video games as, as a, as a practitioner. So I, uh, I auditioned, I got the role and, uh, I ended up being involved in over six games, uh, over 10 years. And, and some of the characters I was in played because people always ask, uh, Sub-Zero, Raiden mm-hmm. are my favorite, uh, nice. Liu Kang and Kung Lao. There were others, but I think those are the ones that I remember doing, you know, the most on. Mm. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. I mean, if I look back as a kid, what I really wanted to be, I think, I think I wanted to be like a wrestler at some point. Like I looked up to the rock. I know that there was Van Damme in there, you know, I did watch Mortal Kombat, but you know, even now, like the rock is an inspiration, right? Like what he does even on the business side, but, uh, but you know, the reality of like being a wrestler, uh, like when I actually did it in high school, it was like, you know, you're just like gr- grappling with, with men and, you know, hugging each other. It's like, this is not fun. <laughs> I want to like, you know, raise my eyebrow and do all this fun stuff. Right. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's cool. Uh, would you, is that, is that something you, you still enjoy would do, would do again if you had that opportunity? Uh, well, it's, uh, it's really tough. I, I stopped doing it. Uh, many years ago, I, I had a sports injury and which prevented me from doing it at the level that I wanted to do it. So I decided sure. to take up another sport. Mm. Uh, but it was fun while it lasted. It gave me great opportunities. And then I think the discipline of martial arts, uh, a lot of what I got out of the teachings, uh, the philosophy of martial arts uh, translated really well to business. Yeah. yeah, you hear that a lot, right? So I think martial arts is one. I know a lot of people, you know, enroll in the army and just that self-discipline you get, I think, you know, putting in the reps day in, day out, like, and then, you know, repeating, repeating, and then seeing yourself become, uh, you know, leveling up slowly. I think you can apply that to, to all areas of life and including business. Um, so how did you get to where you are running today, you know, running your design agency from there? Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head that, uh, you know, being, being a, a, like a doing martial arts for a living is, is the toughly thing. And uh, I've seen uh, many martial arts artists uh, struggle sometimes having their own studio. So I was, uh, even though it was a very serious hobby of mine, I never took it as a career. Uh, I've always had a career in tech. Um, I worked in consulting for many years and which culminated into, uh, I guess it's no surprise that I finally started my own consulting agency. Uh, I was at Accenture at one point, uh, Accenture Labs, but various consulting firms. So I consulting was what I knew uh, a lot of through my career. And I eventually started my own. And uh, to that end, uh, you know, martial arts, like you said, uh, the, the just practice, the perseverance, uh, the pursuit of excellence are, uh, you know, and the, just the value of hard work are all uh, things that help uh, create good habits for me when I started my company. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I mean, getting, getting into the, the nitty gritty of, you know, UX, UI design, you know, super basic, simple terms for people who are just starting off or maybe who are just not as familiar, in, you know, who are SaaS founders, SaaS marketers. Um, what is the difference between, you know, SaaS, you know, UX yeah, and UI, UI. design? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so UX stands for user experience and it can be broadly defined as the overall experience a user, uh, a customer has with a product or service. So this can encompass everything from their emotional experience with the product. Uh, also, uh, the, the discipline of UX, the field of UX design is how elements, uh, information is laid out, is arranged, uh, the order of pages and things uh, that's, that's UX. Mm -hmm. So if I were to use an analogy, UX design is, is similar to, for example, architecture, because UX design is about how things are laid out. So just as uh, an architect lays out a house, right? Like it's very intentful that, you know, you, if you, a, a good architect might, you open the door to your house and you might have a foyer, right? That opens to the living room, then it then leads to the kitchen. And, and, and it just feels natural, right? It feels good how, how, and it works well, how it's laid out. Um, you know, uh, maybe a, an architect who wasn't trained, maybe you, you, you open the door and maybe like the coat closet is all the way in the back of the house. Cause they didn't think they didn't know where to put it. And then that was the, the only room that that was left. So, you know, that that's kind of like the opposite of a good, good architect. Uh, same, same thing. Uh, you, a good UX can make things feel very smooth and natural. Uh, for example, uh, a great example of a, a good UX uh, pattern is, uh, Instagram and how you create a post. So the, the, when you create a post, you, you take a picture, right? 
And just as about you're, you're about to post it, what you're uh, asked to do is to write the description, tag it, apply some filters, and uh, maybe tag the location and, and people. Um, but what you don't know is in the background, the photo is already being uploaded to the server. And had they, had they basically uh, hit upload and, and then uploaded the photo, as you're, you know, as you're doing it, it would have felt really slow because, you know, you'll, you'll wait, you'll wait until the photo is uploaded here. By the time you hit upload, actually in the background, the photo is already uploaded. So it feels instantaneous. So that mm -hmm. was a very, um, intentful use of kind of switching the order of things to make it seem like, you know, the service is instantaneous, but really the moment that you took the photo, they've already started uploading it to the servers. So that's, that's an example of say good UX. Mm -hmm. Um, so at, at, uh, at, a, at a, as a design agency, we don't just think about the UX of, um, you know, the product and, and what the users think, but you know, we're, we're, we're service providers. So we also think about the UX of our customers, right? What is, what is the experience you, you know, we as impeccable people want our customers to experience with us, or if we're handing off designs, right? We want the UX of uh, the, the experience of the engineers to feel like, oh, wow, the design files are clean, it's well-labeled, it's organized. So we think intently about that as well. Um, UI, you know, you ask the difference between UX and UI. UI stands for user interface. Uh, so then the user interface is typically the um, visual treatment of an application. So this can cover everything from the font, the colors, the typography, the icons, uh, the imagery. Uh, so, so some of that kind of overlaps with branding, you know, kind of like the brand design. Um, so in that sense, UI is more like, you know, if, if the UX is kind of how the architect chooses to lay out things, the UI could be like the choice of paint, you know, the interior design, kind of the finishings, right? You can have this same exact home, right? Built exactly the same way, the exact same UX, if you will. Yeah. But um, you can have, you know, uh, the kitchen countertops can be different. The colors can be different, right? The furnishings can be slightly different. So like the choice of paint, the choice of wood, for example, kind of in my mind is the analogy of UI. Uh, a great example of this is Lyft and Uber are essentially the same app. I would say they have very similar UX, if not like almost the same, but the look, the feel of Lyft and Uber are very different. Like Lyft, you know, it's pink, it's purple. It's got really big rounded corner buttons. The font is kind of like thick and, and, and the feeling is more like fun or friendly, right? Whereas Uber, it's black and white. Uh, the font is really thin and it's trying to go for a much more luxurious uh, luxury feel if that makes sense mm -hmm. but essentially they're they're the same ux but one one is trying to convey a more friendly demeanor and one is trying to go for more more luxury so in accordance to their brand so that's that's roughly the difference between ux and ui hopefully that makes sense no no that, that makes perfect sense so you know you're walking in there you know you understand the flow of it um you know how everything is set up and and uh, put together and then yeah it's just kind of filling it in to how you want to, and you can personalize that on based on the design you like. So obviously when it comes to, you know, SaaS founders, when they're thinking about this, the main place is going to be okay, my website, my logo, my brand. And then obviously when I go into the app or my, my software, my platform, um, I have to think about all this right there, the, the flow of how I sign up, my onboarding, my, you know, of using the actual, the, the, the platform itself. Um, can you, can you mention, you know, share some ideas? Why, what else is that? You know, why is that important when they're building that out to thinking about the design? Yeah. Uh, so UX, uh, you know, I would say having, uh, I don't know with software being so good these days, right? Like a lot of software, a lot of SaaS, I would say is nowadays, right. The way to scale is to make it self-serve, right. So to make it as easy as possible so that they can, they don't need help being handheld, I think is, is a really good, uh, aim to have as a SaaS. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's one benefit of UX, uh, Really, UX is, I would say, design in terms of like when when people talk about design as it, as it pertains to software, um, it's, 
I would say it's very, it's not as subjective as people think. It's, it's not art. It, it's really there to solve a problem. So what, what are some of the benefits? Well, with, with good UX, you can remove friction, right? If people are not signing up, um, you can improve signups by making it easier to sign up, for example, uh, through, through design. Um, for example, like, you know, if I can only sign up with email and it's pretty common to add, you know, uh, maybe a better UX would be letting you sign up. Like if it's a mobile app, you can sign up with your phone number or maybe adding Google sign up, or maybe it's a business app, you can add LinkedIn. And some of these are pretty one, one click signups, right? Like Facebook is essentially a one, one click signup so that I can be categorized as a UX problem, like where we can improve signups there. Um, you can also uh, improve the abandonment, reduce the abandonment of a process or not completing a task. For example, um, I, I recently was talking to a, uh, a trading application, right? And so much like people sign in and it's the amount of people in order to trade, you have to connect your bank account. Like otherwise there's nothing to do. But there's the, the conversion rate from sign up to connecting a bank account is super low, for example. And uh, the problem statement is like, how do you how do you improve that? Right. So so that good UX can help convert that or increase that. Mm. Uh, a, a great real world example um, that is pretty famous is this. Uh, if you Google three hundred million dollar button. Uh, by uh, an article written by a famous designer, UX designer, Jared Spool. And it's a pretty substantial article, but I'll give you like the TLDR. Mm-hmm. And basically, uh, he, he, his client was a big retailer, e-commerce. And by understanding kind of where people were, were leaving and abandoning, uh, upon checkout, uh, the, the solution was to add guest checkout because people didn't want to create an account uh, by, by adding a guest checkout, uh, they were able to add $300 million to the bottom line that year. So <laughs> I think, you know, if you want to quantify the, the value of UX, um, for, for, you know, if, if you have big problems, uh, and, uh, you can improve your metrics by, you know, a percentage, it, it can come out to something. So, you know, you, you would do that calculus all day long. Uh, for in our own world experience, uh, we, we helped the retailer ourselves and we helped them redesign a mobile app. And I don't remember what the starting rating was, but you know, it was pretty low, but we were able to move it up to a 4.2 out of five from, from their previous score by, by redesigning their app. Mm. And, uh, you know, as, as you can surmise the, uh, you know, the better, the app rating, the more people are going to use it, the more people feel better about it. So, so good UX can, can help with uh, app, app retention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, I think we mentioned it is, you know, by making something easy to use, you're uh, reducing support costs. So, you know, if you have live chat, you have uh, help desk, if you have support costs uh, by having something easy to use, self-serve, you're essentially reducing that. So people, mm-hmm. if you, people can help themselves or figure it out intuitively, and then another, another uh, maybe use of UX is you can steer people towards a desired behavior. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was just, uh, and I was just uh, on Amazon this morning uh, trying to buy some some supplements. And if you ever check out on Amazon certain products, like they want you, they're trying to steer you to subscribe, right? Like, oh, start a subscription, like. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I just wanted to buy it mm-hmm. once. I don't, and, and it's actually the, the buying it one time is actually very, it's hidden and it, yeah, it needs some, there's some, I would say some cognitive load to figure out, okay, where did they hide this? How did they, how do I get to buy, buy it one, at one time? So, so UX can be used, you know, the power of UX can use it to steer to a certain behavior as well. Yeah, I mean, they, they had that as your default, right? You're like, I want to go buy. It's like, wait, I have to subscribe and I have to pay this every month? No, no. It's just like a couple of clicks to get back to just buying the one, right? Yeah. Exactly. They, they, they're adding friction to buying it one time. They're removing friction to just yeah. subscribe it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess it makes sense yeah. for them. It probably, probably works. And I think that's probably one of our biggest playbooks of, uh, you know, when we do acquisitions or investments in companies, you know, conversion rate optimization. And that's part of the, the overall 
you know, you can have the same product in the back end, you have a good system and flow, but just by making, you know, differences and adjustments to the design, to your copy, to your layout, to your, you know, different, you know, um, UXs of, you know, how, how people are flowing to take action and convert, um, you know, we, we see a lot better, you know, conversions and obviously increases your LTP, decreases your churn. There's a lot of things that, that, you know, increase your overall enterprise value. And I think, uh, I think I mentioned it was like, was, I think it was the Rocket Brothers when they, you know, I think, so what the, the Rocket Internet, right? Where they, mm-hmm. uh, you know, replicate companies and, you know, go into different markets. And I think it was the, they, they made a replicate of eBay in one of the markets and they had like a whole, whole team of, you know, PhDs just studying, you know, how to perfect the buttons and get the maximum, um, you know, uh, results out of it. But, you know, it worked and, you know, they ended up selling it for, you know, billions of dollars. So, uh, you know, there's definitely value in, in uh, you know, optimizing those little, you know, little details, right? Absolutely. Uh, I think uh, things start to blur in terms of definitions and, and uh, the, the intersection, right? Like I think some mm-hmm. of a conversion optimization could be categorized as, you know, improving the UX as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is uh, design systems? I think you mentioned that. How, how do you, you know, use that to create more efficiencies for, for SaaS companies specifically who have, you know, multiple offerings and you want to, you know, how, when they're trying to decide by, you know, so many things that they can, they can go towards. Sure. Uh, so design systems are, are nothing really but but a set of guides, set of guide standards and components to, to, to manage design at scale. Uh, and the point of that is to reduce uh, redundancy, uh, to have a shared language, uh, to create consistency uh, across different pages and platforms. And the, so the benefit, the main benefit of that is that if you have a uh, for example, a team of designers, right? And then they, and they're working in parallel. You don't want them recreating uh, common components, right? Because otherwise everybody, every page is going to be whoever worked on it. There's going to be slightly different, right? Uh, examples of great design systems include Apple's uh, design system, uh, Google, you may have heard of the Google material design system, uh, IBM carbon, Twitter bootstrap is another one. I think it's used by, you know, maybe like 30% of the, <laughs> Uh, there's some statistics around, uh, you know, some of the amazing usage of Twitter bootstrap, but, uh, basically what, what all these guide, uh, design systems and guidelines, and a lot of enterprises also have their own design systems is that one for the user, it reduces cognitive load. So like, you know, if I download one Google app, right. I understand that, you know, like, Hey, this is a, they, they, the, the hamburger menu, for example, that's what they call it. Uh, there's a, the floating action button, the, the plus sign, right? Like, oh, this is to add whatever it is I'm in. So if I'm in a calendar, I add an event. If I'm in, you know, to-do list, that's to do a, to add a to-do item. Uh, so by for the user, like it's it's affordances that I'm used to, right? Like it's just like cars follow a certain patterns, right? Like in the U.S., I can be uh, I can know that hey, I get into any car and the front left seat is the driver's right. And the steering wheel is right in front of me and stuff. It's like, these are common patterns, right? So that's, that's what a system affords you for, for the designer. It's the difference between uh, assembling versus creating from scratch, right? Like if I have to imagine if you build a house and every component or thing I have to build from scratch versus just like, Oh, I have a standard door, I have standard windows. I just, you know, it, in this home, I, I need, I don't know, 10 doors. Uh, I just, these are the 10 doors that, you know, I use the same door. So it's consistent. The door frame is consistent. Uh, the level of the door handle is consistent, right? It's then I just have to worry about assembling the house versus building its components. So one, I can move faster. I can focus my attention and time on more complex problems and actual problem solving versus just moving the pixels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and recreating the design elements over and over. Uh, for teams, it's about creating a unified language to reduce uh, miscommunications, right? So, for example, if we're all, you know, if we agree to use the Google Material Design System for a SaaS, which is actually a good, good common practice, uh, when when I say, oh, you should use chips for this, you know, you know, because if we're familiar with with the Google Material Design System, we know what chips means. Or oh, we should use a date picker for this, or a modal for this. Um, and uh, so it's a it's a common language, and it helps improve communication that way. Okay. And um, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, no. So uh, yeah, I mean, 
No, if you have, if you have more to add to that, I mean, uh, I just wanted to ask you know if I'm looking for for bringing on somebody to my team, you know, or just hiring some you know an agency or or external. Um, is is there any things that you look for for finding that best person? Like, do you, do you ask them these specific technical features or experiences, or you know, maybe from your side, how do you hire them? Who who a you know you can look at their portfolio and say, hey, they have stunning design, um, but maybe they don't have that you know like the empathetic you know customer experience, which is you know part of the UX. You'd say, yeah, um, well, uh, having good hard skills of being able to design a pr- produce a good design, I think is, is table stakes and you can judge that via portfolio pretty easily. Mm-hmm. I think really is understanding what, uh, you know, their, their process, their design process, uh, t- asking questions like, okay, what, what problem did you solve here? What was the problem that, that this design was going to solve? How did you arrive at this solution? Um, did they, what were the results uh, that they achieve, right? Like design is not just about pretty pixels, right? Um, you know, if, if I added something, you know, did that improve or reduce kind of the goal I was trying to achieve, right? Like, like by adding that, that guest checkout, uh, you know, Jared Spool was able to add a lot of enterprise value to that e-commerce. So really it's, you know, what, what are you trying to solve with this, with this design? And did, did that design achieve its goal? So design is in this context again is it's not kind of art where where yeah some of the visuals is is very subjective this looks pretty this is not but I think really understanding um, you know what what stuff they were trying to solve and how they went about it um, the, and also what um, you know maybe looking at their design files and you know kind of like their UX with you right what is their pro like what are their communication skills, especially in this remote world? I think communication is is much more important than just uh, you know being able to produce great designs. So uh, I would say communication skills, their output, meaning um, you know I, I actually helped some startups uh, recruit a designer, and they they showed me you know the work of this one designer, and they didn't even bother to change the layer names. So like everything was disorganized. Everything was like layer one, layer two, layer three. So if I had to look for something, it'd be impossible, right? So if I was, uh, imagine if I was a developer being handed off this file, it'd be a nightmare to work with. So that that speaks to the, the maturity. Um, and then in terms of like hiring, I, I think you have to be aware of the, you know, how, um, like whether first you have to determine, you know, what your needs are. If they're specific, maybe a freelancer would do. If they're large, um, where you need a lot of services in terms of design, it may not be just one person, you know, are you looking to move fast? Um, so depending on your stage of the company, a freelancer might be best. And at another stage, a design agency might be best. Um, you know, how do you pick a design agency? You know, what's the best design agency? Well, there's, I, I, when people ask for that, say stuff like that, it's like, well, there's no best because it's highly contextual, right? Um, I think there's domain expertise is very important. Mm. For example, like Impeccable works a lot with kind of enterprise B2B. You know, we've had clients uh, like uh, in in networking and wireless. So we know kind of that domain very well. We created dashboards around that, SaaS products around that. Um, so uh, you know, in terms of like, if a, if a design agency is focused on consumer applications, like, like, you know, apps similar to Instagram or dating apps, but you have a very enterprise B2B product, they might not be the best for you, even though they might be, they've won some design awards, but they lack some of the context. Uh, for example, that same, uh, trading app, uh, company, he said that he had a hard time recruiting because a lot of people don't have, um, options trading experience, right? And they don't know about options. So they lack the context, the domain expertise. So they might be a great designer, but having to explain options or like, oh, you know, this is not the way options work. You you have to rework it. It it ends up being more work, right? So so you want somebody who, somebody or a group who has domain expertise as well. So that's, that's another one. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, like us, but even us ourselves, right? Like we're, we work with B2B SaaS companies, but you know, if, if they're targeting, you know, enterprise longer sales cycles, uh, type of type of business model, where you know we're probably less familiar. You know, so even within you know spaces, you know, subcategories that you know people are probably better at. Um, do, do you have you know like a specific creative process when working or tackling a new design project? Like, 
or is every project like a blank canvas? You're like, okay, I've got this space. Okay. This is a house. Like I have this much square meters. Um, and like, we're going to just design it based off what they tell us. Or do you have like a process you follow that's proven from, you know, competition or other, let's say, you know, enterprise clients. Like, okay. This is working. It's converting. Well, let's kind of, you know, follow it every time and kind of, uh, you know, because it seems to work. Yeah. Well, I, I think the, 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 the process, the creative process essentially is the, the design process. And, uh, it starts by understanding the needs, the goals, right. Understanding the problem. So a lot of it is having an initial in the beginning, it's an having an initial assessment, right? So talking to stakeholders, the business, what is their objective? Uh, what is the constraints of engineering? You know, are you using a, a pretty, are you stuck in an old framework that we have to be aware of? Uh, for the users, what is their pain point? What is the, what is the job to be done? What are they hiring this piece of software to do? Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, if it's an existing product, what is the data telling you? You know, like, hey, we, we think we have this problem, but is, you know, is that jiving with the data? Uh, some other steps include like researching, understanding the competitors and where you stand with, with the competition, right? Are you on par? Where are you trying to differentiate? Um, where, where are they doing better in terms of UX and where are you failing? Uh, we also look at other apps in other industries or in adjacent industries because, uh, you, you know, maybe there's creative, uh, I think creativity is kind of when you intersect that, right? Like sometimes an industry is so old and all the people in it, they don't think outside that industry. Mm. Right. Um, and, uh, this is a great example of this, maybe like from a physical UX design is the, uh, Mac, uh, MagSafe. Yes. Which is the magnet. You know, if you look to prior to MagSafe, uh, all the laptops and computers, you know, had a plug where if you trip that trip the wire, you'd probably drag your laptop off the desk and, and you know, lost $3,000. With MagSafe, you kick in the magnet, just fills up. And, and that actually came from the origin of that is the Japanese rice cooker, because if you tripped over that wire, you, you potentially uh, be harming, you know, bringing down a, a really hot rice cooker and boiling rice on you. Uh, so the MagSafe was really helping you from, from harm, mm-hmm. but that, that innovation came from from a different industry. Um, so like, uh, you know, to, to that story is looking at other industries, how are they solving similar problems? Can you apply some of their learnings and some of the, their innovations to your industry? Mm. Uh, and then a good, uh, good process involves testing the ideas, you know, in, in martial arts. So you'll like this analogy is like, if your idea is never tested, it's like having a, a fighter that you coach, but you never actually test them in a fight, right? Mm. You, 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 you train them, you put them through sparring, you have them do weight, stretch, punch the bag, but they, you never test that idea, uh, in the real world. Um, then, then it's, uh, that, that fighter won't stand a chance. Same, same with the idea. So, mm. so having a couple of ideas, right. Uh, it's, it's like having a couple fighters and then test them out and see which one performs better. And then you go with that fighter. Mm. So, um, so that's that kind sense. of one way to think of it. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good way. Um, and then when it comes to the the word, you know, creativity definition, I guess everybody kind of has a different way of thinking about it. You know, there's, um, how do you define it? And, uh, what, what, what do you, how, what do you define as a creative idea or design? Is it pulling it from different, you know, different industries that people don't think about? I mean, you know, things like, you know, Apple are kind of known to be creative or leaders in that space. Yeah. Well, we're, we're not trying to be creative for creativity's sake here. I think a lot of our work is really solving a problem, yeah. right? Does this solve a problem? Does this uh, accomplish the goal? Um, if it happens to be creative, I think bonus points to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think creative ideas, they, they don't necessarily happen in a vacuum. They, they need sparks uh, or inspiration kind of similar to the, you know, that, that Japanese rice cooker story, right? Like that did not come from the same industry that like, that could not have come because everything before that in the like consumer electronics, uh, you know, computer electronics, uh, industry was not innovative. So it, it couldn't have come from there. So being able to look outside kind of your box, get, get out of the building is a saying, right. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at intersections, looking at different domains, um, so that does require a little bit of, it's not just going to come to you, right? You're, you're going to have to be, uh, kind of well-read in, in other areas, right? So kind of, mm-hmm. and, and how I, I 
try to be creative is to listen to podcasts like like yours and and listen and and also not just SaaS podcasts because if all all you do is listen to SaaS podcasts then you do it like every other SaaS entrepreneur yeah. right so you might want to um, uh, augment your knowledge with a totally different industry yeah 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 that makes sense yeah I like to to, to break it out right a little bit of Tim Ferriss a little bit of SaaS a little bit of you know health and and fitness to to keep it fresh right. A quick note from our sponsors today, and we'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Contentfy.co, a premium podcast editing and repurposing agency for busy content creators just like you. Are you spending too much time editing your podcast and end up with no time to stay on top of also publishing, sharing, reaching new listeners, while also staying ahead of the latest podcasting trends? Don't worry, Contentfy has you covered. You no longer need to worry about spending hours editing and repurposing anymore. Just record your content and they handle the rest. Contentfy is an end-to-end podcast editing and repurposing agency to help you grow your podcast by editing and repurposing quickly, easily, and reliably to share all over your social networks. And if you haven't even noticed, I also use them for the SaaS District podcast. So join other busy content creators just like you and me and start saving time and money while you grow your podcast show. Visit contentfy.co to learn more today. So, so Peck, kind of last question here before we get into the, you know, the personal rapid fire questions, which you're probably familiar with. Um, just, you know, for people listening in who want to maybe learn more about, you know, UX, uh, better design, what are some resources you could recommend for SaaS leaders if they want to learn more? Yeah, uh, I, one of my, here's a couple and which we'll link in the show notes. Uh, Don't Make Me Think is a really good primer uh, by a wonderful designer, Steve Krug. A good primer on UX called Don't Make Me Think. Uh, since we're talking about SaaS, uh, Product-Led Onboarding is another good book. Um if you want to learn about uh, another good topic to learn about is design sprints. So there's a book called Sprint by Jake Knapp. And this was something that was implemented in Google Ventures. And, and, and Google actually runs design sprints. Another good book is called The Mom Test. And uh, for, for it's a really good guide on how to ask questions, get feedback on, on your product because... A lot of times entrepreneurs, I would say, you know, they lead with their product, not the problem, right? They, they lead with the solution. Here's my solution. Do you like it or not? Versus hey, what, what's the problem you're trying to solve and then see if your solution fits their problem. So, so the mom test is a great way of uh, kind of asking questions that way to, to nice. avoid any bias. Because if you already show them the products, I mean, they're, they can't help but be biased. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> because you're you're steering them towards solving it a certain way. Uh, other sites include uh, lawsofux.com, so some some design principles. Uh, there's a site called designsystemsrepo.com where you can see a collection of some of the best uh, design resources, including some of the ones that we've actually worked on ourselves, um, uh, such as the Google Material Design, Apple interface ones for the Adobe XD systems. Uh, uxchecklist.github.io. So it's a, you know, in, in a SaaS product, there's, there's a lot of features and within each, you know, feature or page, they, they give you a checklist of, uh, like for the login page, right? Like, is there a forget your password, reset your password or sign up link? Uh, it's great. Like it's, you know, you don't have to, it's a great guideline so that you don't forget certain features. Mm. Yeah. And then finally, if you want to learn more about design, uh, you know, I have my own design podcast uh, called What is UX? What is UX? Okay, awesome. We'll add that, <laughs> that is to our show notes as well. You guys check it out if you want to learn more. Yeah. Uh, so Peck, you, you're familiar. You obviously listen to the podcast. You know the, the rapid fire questions, personal questions. And by the way, I'd love to hear um, any, any suggestions. I mean, if you want to, you know, if you have any ch- suggestions on what we can change or improve on these type of questions, I'd, I'd be happy to hear from you. So um send it over afterwards, but what was your vision when you first started impeccable and how has it evolved over time to what it is today? Yeah. So when we were started, obviously we were small. Uh, when I started the agency, I started as a solo freelancer 
And of course, some of the clients we could serve when you're small is, is mostly startups. Uh, and uh, so we started out serving startups. Uh, some, some notable ones include Firebase, which was acquired by Google. We were uh, doing early design work for, for Firebase. Uh, Attorney Fee, which is acquired by LegalZoom, uh, in the, is a uh, lawyer marketplace. Uh, Zingbox, which is now acquired by Palo Alto Networks, uh, a startup in uh, IoT. Uh, and then as we've grown and matured, we've learned, uh, we've one, we became bigger, so we were able to serve the enterprise more because they needed more resources. Um, and uh, we also learned how to work with enterprises because they have a lot of different needs, a lot of more uh, bureaucracy, a lot more kind of maybe people skills to navigate. And you're mm. uh, usually not dealing with one stakeholder with a startup. Oftentimes you're dealing directly with the CEO, the decision maker, um, with, uh, enterprise, you know, there's, there's usually, uh, a committee or a party or, you know, multiple stakeholders. So we kind of learn how to navigate the enterprise. Um, and we also learn how to work with funded startups. So nowadays, you know, the, the vision is serving, and uh, in one area, for example, like we, we serve the industrial enterprises. So companies like Pentair, which is like in the industrial aquatics, we, we help with their mobile and their digital transformation. And then in the tech, uh, high tech enterprises, you know, we, who, who value and uh, they can leverage good user experience across lots of users, millions of users. You know, so that's like a high leverage activity, right? If I can improve sign up, if I improve the product by a little bit and I have millions of users, that, that means a lot. So we work with companies like Adobe, Twilio, Google, a lot of automotive companies, uh, electronic companies, uh, and then startups, uh, usually like a large series A or series B or beyond. Um, maybe they're thinking of their second product. Maybe they're thinking of now they can invest in UX because they have their funding. Uh, we can help them with that. Nice. What's uh, one piece of advice you wish you had known and would tell, let's say, your, your 25-year-old self? <laughs> uh, I would say, you, you know, in, in sales, I would say there's, there's hunting versus farming, right? And um, I would say I leaned too much or for too long on, on hunting and not, not as much or not at all on, on farming. So planting trees, doing stuff like you're doing right now, high, highly leverage activities, right? Like, like doing the podcast. Uh, it's not a one-to-one -one activity, right? Like you're not out talking to one person at a time. You're, you know, it, with any episode, I don't know. I imagine lots of people listen to it. So that's like high leverage time. So taking more time, if I could do something over, like it would be great. For example, had I started the design podcast, the moment I started my design agency, then I would have had 10 years of episodes and 10 years of design thought leadership content for people to find us. Uh, but we're starting now, right? Like the, what's the saying? The second best time is, is now. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Like Paul Graham, the YC, he like, he says, do things that don't scale. And I think, uh, I took that advice for too long and but he also didn't say don't do things at scale, right? So you should also do that. And uh, mm -hmm. I think I, I didn't kind of read between the lines. So so also work on things that that scale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's that's really good advice. And I'll think of the the long term investment game versus just the the one on one quick quick transactions. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing um, in order to continue to grow impeccable? I mean, you know, what what keeps you up at night these days? Yeah. Uh, well, I think scaling, right. The, mm. the, the actual growth, uh, we've, we've always erred on the side of like growing more slowly because we want to maintain quality. So mm. we're, you know, we, it's, it's hard to grow fast and, and still kind of, especially in services, right. So mm. the more people you bring on, you have to ensure a consistent user experience, uh, in, in a way, I feel like our, our company is, is more similar, less similar to a SaaS and more similar to like, you know, uh, like a high end white glove service, like a, like a Marriott or hotel, right? Like mm. we, at the end of the day, we're, we're a service agency and, and we're, we're not the cheapest kid on the block, but our, our services are 
pretty, um, what we want to do is create a unique experience and a consistent experience. So we, I know we have good results, but if we were to just quickly double in size, I'm not sure that kind of like the new people, you know, uh, how do I ensure that the new people are, are outputting at that level quality or, or not even just, you know, they might be, uh, have high quality, but you know, people are just like people come to Starbucks or go to the Ritz Carlton, like they, they want a certain experience. So we want to make sure that everybody has a impeccable experience. I think maybe nice. one piece of feedback that I took to heart one time was like, you know, it's like, Hey, you guys do great work, but I work with you on three projects and they were all ran differently. This was a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. Right. And I was like, Oh man, that's not good. Right. <laughs> it's like, then, then it's like, it's highly could potentially be highly variable. So, so again, so, so, so then we kind of went back to the drawing board and uh, like, you know, and this applies to SaaS as well, right? Like if you have different salesperson, um, your, your account manager, your experience could, could vary. So how do you ensure a consistent experience among everyone? It's tough. SOPs, SOPs, it's all about the process. Right? Yep. And just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so we have set. SOPs. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. SOPs for everything now these days. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, yeah it's fun times. Um, who or what are some of the best res- resources? I know you mentioned some, you know, specifically for design, but maybe books or people or mentors or people you follow in the space who you'd say have been, you know, more instrumental to your success over these last few years. Uh, well, it, the, the, my biggest resources, uh, you know, I, I recommend Audible and Scribed. Scribed is sort of like a Netflix of books, right? You, you pay a subscription, you can read many, book, many books. So, so over there, I read a lot of, uh, biographies on, on entrepreneurs. I read design books, I read sales books. So I'm a big consumer. Um, and, and, and I also prefer the audio format. I think podcasts are a big educational component for me. Uh, I'll plug SAS district. If you're listening to this, keep listening to this. Uh, for me, I also enjoy indie hackers. Uh, my first million, uh, mm. is, a, is a good podcast. Uh, acquired is another one. Uh, masters of scale is a good one. Uh, Noah yeah. Kagan. Yeah. Uh, and then Technori, which is another tech co- tech podcast, which is a Chicago based tech podcast. And then okay. on the design, uh, there's a, a great one that's been around for a long time called user defenders. And then my, I'll, I'll plug my own, uh, what is UX where we interview, uh, design leaders from companies, you know, you'll get to learn from designers from like YouTube or Netflix or Tesla or even Workday, B2B or Teladoc. So we, we design, we talk to designers from, uh, a lot of, uh, different industries so that you kind of get a sense of what it's like in healthcare, in, in video, in SaaS, so like just different aspects. Mm. Awesome. We'll add all those uh, for people to check out. What does uh, success mean to you today, Peck? I'm assuming it's probably changed over time. Uh, how do you define <laughs> it? <laughs> uh, well, success you know, on one level is like a never-ending pursuit of excellence, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you can mm-hmm. always learn to improve and grow. So success is being able to even have that journey, right? I think with kind of like thinking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? When you we're first starting out, you may not have the resources to be survival might just be kind of like, I just need to get to survival. Um, you know, one, one measure of success is like now I make enough to provide for the team and be able to grow sustainably. Um, not even just being, not that I, I can't quite afford like huge impulse, you know, I can't buy a plane or anything, but I think, you know, just being able to go to a restaurant and not have to worry that can I afford this, right? Mm. uh, is, is one level of success. Uh, and then I'm, I'm grateful that in a way I'm, th- this is success as well, right? I have a 10 year old agency. A lot of small businesses don't make it. What's the t- statistic, right? It's pretty for small business. It's pretty abysmal. But yeah. Most it's like 20% of businesses don't make it past five years. So, so the fact that we've been 10 years, yeah. um, it's able to run itself. So I, um, Recently, you know, we have kind of transitioned from stepping out of the day-to-day role of running the company. So uh, I'm fortunate that most of the pieces are there and we're constantly refining in that engine now. Um, And then another angle of success is being able to 
live a life. So I, I used to focus a lot on career and, and work, but now I think, uh, you know, having worked in industry for over 10 years and then started a company over 10 years, I try to start for a better balance to, to, as I get older, to appreciate life, spend more time with friends and family, um, my professional connections like you. Um, and, and maybe in the early days, you, you do have to focus a little bit and lean towards uh, work. But, but I think overall now, I try to have, now that some of that is taken care of, I try to have more of a balance. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's important, right? I mean, at the beginning, you know, you have to pay your bills, you have to, you know, put food on the table and keep make sure everybody's kind of taken right. care of. And after that, it's, you know, serving the, you know, taking care of yourself and, and your, uh, you know, focusing on other stuff with life. So it seems like you're, yeah. you're on the right track. You've done well and, you know, congrats to you and hope you continued success with, with impeccable. Um, well, I mean, you know, I guess where, where can uh, founders listening in who want to listen, you know, maybe get in touch with you, learn more about you. Where's the best place to to say hi? Uh, I am pretty active on LinkedIn. So I, I liked LinkedIn as a professional tool. Uh, my, my podcast, if you want to learn, learn more, uh, what is UX, which it's on Apple, uh, Google, as well as Spotify. And then, uh, the website impeccable, if you want to impeccable with a K, uh, com, if you want to learn more about uh, our services, and then you can always reach me at peck at impeccable.com that way too. Awesome. Awesome. We'll add elbows in the show notes as well. So Thank you so much again, Peck. Really nice chatting with you again and catching up. Appreciate it. Likewise, I always enjoy our conversations and and thank you for finally so for having me on the show. Like I said, I've been <laughs> listening to to this for years, so it's like, uh, oh wow, this is really cool. Thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. I appreciate it. All right. All right. Cheers. Thank you all for watching this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at Horizon Capital and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please comment down below and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and see you on the next one.